Well, good morning. If you would, open your Bibles with me to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5. Before we look into God's word, let's bow before him in prayer. Seek his blessing. Our Father, Lord, we bow in your presence this morning. We bow humbly, reverently, gratefully, thankfully that we can come before the God of heaven and earth and by your mercy and grace call you our Father. And Father, we, as your children, pray this morning that you'd be pleased to bless us, that you'd be pleased to to set the table of your grace and enable us to eat and be filled and strengthened and comforted with the preaching of our Lord Jesus Christ, your dear Son. Father, I pray that you would enable us to truly worship you this morning. How I beg of you that you deliver us from just going through the motions of religion, a, a Sunday morning habit, but Father, that you enable us to worship, that you'd be pleased to reveal your glory to us. And what we pray for ourselves, Father, we pray for all of your people, wherever they may be gathering together this morning. Father, bless your word where it's preached. Bless your people for your great namesake, we pray. Father, we pray for our country and our world at, at this time. We pray that you'd be with our leaders, give them special wisdom and understanding. Father, that you deliver us from ourselves, that you continue to, to be merciful and gracious to this country. And Father, we dare not forget to pray for those that you brought into the times of trouble and trial, in deep waters and dark nights, Father, we pray you'd comfort their hearts with your presence, that you'd heal, that you'd deliver, and above all, that you'd comfort until such time as you see pleased to deliver. All these things we ask in that name which is above every name, the name of Christ our Savior. It's for his sake and his glory we pray. Amen. Now, I've titled the lesson this morning, Husbands. And if you would... Ask most men, religious or heathen, if you would ask most men, what does the Bible say about a husband's role in a marriage? Their answer, almost undoubtedly, would come from Ephesians 5.23, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church. And then they'd skip down to verse 24, and said, as the church is subject unto Christ, so let their wives be to their own husbands in everything. Now, I'm just convinced that would be the answer most men would give you on what the Scripture have to say to husbands. And that answer would be taken from Scripture, wouldn't it? It would be taken from Scripture. There's just one problem with that answer. Those verses are giving instructions to wives, not husbands. That's the instruction the Scripture gives to wives. The Lord never one time in Scripture tells husbands, now you're the head of the home and you make sure your wife is subject to you. Never one time does Scripture say to husbands, now you're the head of the home and you better make sure she obeys you. You won't find that one time in Scripture. The husband is the head of the home. No, no question Scripture teaches that. It's the truth that the husband is the head of the home. But here's what Scripture teaches husbands. Verse 25. Husbands love your wives. 
even as Christ also loved the church and gave himself for it. Scriptures teach husbands to love their wives. Don't boss them around. Don't order them around. Don't rule with an iron fist to make sure they obey you. Scripture says, love your wives. Love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now, if you were here last week, you may recall that I told the wives, in this thing of marriage and submission to your husband, to his authority, the Lord has not given you something humiliating to do in marriage. Wives are to submit to the, to the authority of their husbands as a picture of the bride to Christ. That instruction is not given to demean wives at all. By the same token, this instruction to husbands is not given to puff a man up in pride. The Lord has given a great responsibility to to husbands in the home to lead their homes in love. As Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. Now that puts so much responsibility on on the shoulders of husbands The responsibility for a happy marriage and a happy home lies primarily with the husband. Now that is absolutely contrary to the natural thinking. You know, the way everybody thinks is, well, the the responsibility for a happy home is on the wife. She's just got to, you know, submit to every whim and everything the husband says. As long as she submits, as long as she stays quiet, we'll have a happy home. That's not so. The responsibility for a happy marriage lies primarily with the husband. Remember, this marriage is given to us as a picture of the union between Christ and his bride. Isn't that right? Well, the relationship between the believer and the Lord, the happy relationship between the believer and the Lord depends primarily on who? On the Lord, doesn't it? Well, the same thing's true, husbands, in our homes, in our marriages. You know, a happy marriage doesn't mean the wife has to put up with every evil thing that their husband thinks of. A happy marriage means that the husband loves his wife so well that she's happy to be married to him, that she's happy to follow his lead, that she's happy to, not because she has to, but because she wants to. He's, he's won her respect and her trust. And this thing of, of I didn't say this last week, I, I should have, this thing of wives submitting yourselves to your husbands, you can't do that unless you want to. You cannot do that unless you want to. Well, the husband's job is to make her want to. Make her want to. That, that is exactly the reason the church is in submission to our Savior. It's because he loves us so well. We want to be in submission to him. We want to follow him. Because of his sacrifice, because of everything that, that of who he is, his, his perfect, precious character, he's won our respect. This is the one we want to be in submission to. This is the one that we want to follow. Now, Paul says here, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. That's such a key phrase, as Christ loved the church. Well, how did Christ love the church? Well, let me give you a few things. Number one, Christ loved the church self-sacrificially. He gave himself for it. He sacrificed himself. He loved his bride so much. that The bride of Christ is the people that the Father elected. And he gave to his son to redeem. And he loved her so much. He loved that people so much that he gave everything that he is to redeem her. 
He sacrificed himself body and soul to redeem her. Christ gave everything that he had for the good and the happiness of his bride. Now husbands, just try that shirt on. Now try that on. If we want to have a happy marriage, we need to spend a whole lot less time trying to figure out, is my wife in proper submission to me? Is she serving me as well as she should? We should be spending our time looking at ourselves and thinking, am I loving her self-sacrificially? Now, am I? Am I doing everything that I can to make her happy and give her what she needs? Actually, husbands, if we're to love our wives the way that Scripture teaches us to love our wives, we're not looking to her to be our servant. We'll be her servant, providing for her what she needs to make her happy. Let me show you a really good example of that back in John chapter 13. John chapter 13. Beginning in verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own. See, there it is, his love for his people. Having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them, them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands, and that he was come from God and he went to God. He had, there was no question, now he is the Son of God. The Father's given everything to him. You think of his power and his position in this universe. The Father's given everything into his hand. That's who he is. He knew it. Well, verse 4, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poureth water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Now, you know what this is. The job of washing the feet of the guest that's the job of the lowest servant i mean just the low man on the totem pole got stuck with that job and the lord of glory girded himself with a towel and washed the feet of his disciples he did the lowest job the job of the lowest servant and you know why he did it because he loved them he loved them unto the end that's why he did it now when he got done washing their feet Skip down to verse 13. Look what he says. Ye call me master and Lord, and ye say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and master, have washed your feet, ye also ought to wash one another's feet. Now, the Lord made no, he, no bones about this now. He's Lord and master. He's Lord and master. But he still did the job of the lowest servant for those that he loves. He served those who are in submission to him. He served those who are dependent upon him. He served them. See what he did there? Now look what the Lord tells us about humbling one another to serve one another. Verse 17. If you know these things, happy are you if you do them. Now I'm talking to believers here. You and I ought to be happy serving one another. That's when we should be the happiest. It's not when somebody's serving us. 
We should be the happiest when we're serving one another. And the same thing applies in a marriage. Husbands, we should be happy serving our wife. We should be happy giving her what she needs. We'll be happy, and I promise you this, she will too. She will too. It is just, I know it's not always the case, but it is the very, very rare woman that will not respond well to that kind of love and will not be in willing submission to a husband that loves her that way. It's a very rare woman. So husbands, love your wives self-sacrificially. I mean, you go to work and you work hard. Work hard to provide for her. If she needs something that she doesn't have, you do without so she can have what she needs. I mean, that, that's the way a husband's supposed to be. Now again, that that's not just good advice. That's in keeping with this picture of the Lord and his bride. Isn't that what our bridegroom did for us? He did without. His bride needed something she didn't have. She needed righteousness. She needed salvation. She needed redemption. She needed forgiveness. She needed acceptance with the Father. She needed something she didn't have. And our Savior went without. And he suffered. Oh, how he suffered. Not just on the cross, but for 33 and a half years leading up to the cross, he suffered. And then how on that cross, he suffered unimaginable agony. And you know why he did all of that? (laughs) So his bride could have redemption. So she could be joined to him. That's what what the Savior did for us. That's what we're to do for our wives. And wives, don't ever take advantage of that. Don't ever take advantage of that. In keeping with the picture here, shall we sin that grace may abound? God forbid. See the picture there? I want to say, I'm thinking about how, how to say, I want to say this carefully so I don't get on my soapbox about society in general, but there is a problem in society today. Somewhere men have quit being men. Somewhere, I mean, I don't know how that happened, but somewhere, generally speaking, men have quit being men. Husbands, let's be men. Let's be men. Let's take the responsibility for our homes. Let's let's lead our homes like a leader should. Lead by example. Lead in such a way that our wives want to follow us, that she wants to. Don't keep reminding her that she has to. Don't keep reminding her, you got to obey me. I guarantee you, she already knows that. (laughs) She knows these verses up here that we looked at last week. She already knows those verses. She knows what scripture says to her. There's something wrong. If I have to keep reminding Janet, you got to obey me, you got to follow me, you got to submit to my authority, there's something wrong. Are you going to tell you what's wrong? Leadership. Leadership. Instead of constantly reminding her, she used to be in subjection to us, love her into it. Love her into it. Again, in keeping with the picture, isn't that what our Savior did for us, for his people? He loved us. It's his love that drew us to him, isn't it? It's his love. Love the, your wife, self-sacrificial. That's how Christ loved the church. All right, number two, how did Christ love the church? Enough to cleanse her and make her perfect. 
verse 26, back in Ephesians 5, that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water by the word, that he might present it to himself a glorious church, not having spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that it should be holy and without blemish. Now you think what our Savior suffered to make his people perfect. And it's a people, again, here the picture of the bride. She needs something she doesn't have. Boy, she doesn't have perfection, does she? If God's going to accept us, we've got to be perfect. But how did we come into this world? Born in sin, shapen in iniquity. We came ruined in sin. Ugly, defiled by our sin. And the Son of God came to remedy that situation for his bride. But in order to do it, he had to suffer the humiliation of being made flesh. The Son of God had to take on him the the flesh and the nature of the creature. The man that he created. He had to become just like us, except without sin. He had to give up his glory as God and appear in the likeness of human flesh. And he didn't, when he came into flesh, it had, it had been low enough for him to come as a prince or a king, wouldn't it? He didn't even do that. He came as a poor carpenter. As a poor carpenter. He lived his earthly ministry largely as a homeless man. He had to suffer obeying his own law. He had to suffer obeying his own creatures. As a child, he had to obey his mother and father. Stepfather. He had to obey the Mosaic law. He he had to obey the, the laws of the land. Also, he could establish righteousness for his bride. And then he had to suffer being made sin. Now I say this all the time. You and I, that's all we are is sin. We can't imagine. What it, the suffering of soul and mind that the Son of God, the holy, righteous Son of God who did no sin, who knew no sin, was made sin. Mm-mm-mm. He did that willingly. Made sin for his people. And then he suffered, body and soul, to put that sin away. To pay for the sin of his elect so that it's gone. And by his precious blood, all of the sin of his bride, of his elect, is washed away. Gone forever, so that by his sacrifice, he made them perfect. He made them without sin. He made them without spot of sin. You know, scripture talks about our sin being a stain. Have you tried getting a stain out? His blood left his people without even a stain of sin. Without even a scent of sin. Perfect. And Christ our bridegroom. You know what heaven's going to be? Him saying, look what I did. Look at my bride. Look what I've made. Look at her. Look what I've made her. That's what heaven's going to be. That's our Savior. That's the gospel of our Savior He's given us to preach. That's our bridegroom. Now doesn't that make you love the Lord? Doesn't that make you thankful? Doesn't that make you desire to serve Him with everything you've got? What does if God saved you? If you know Christ, it does. Now, husbands, that's the way we're to love our wives. And I know we can't we can't save our wives. We can't cleanse their souls any more than we can save ourselves. 
But I tell you what we can do. We can present her as beautiful as we can and cover her faults. You know, last week I told wife, don't, don't get into a group of women and start husband bashing. I know it's easy to do. We give you a lot of ammunition, but don't do it. Well, husbands, don't get out and start bashing your wife either. Don't start exposing her faults. If she has a fault, you cover it up. If there's something she can't do very well, cover it up. I was talking um, how some years ago, brother Mike Walker, about this, this, this very subject. And he said, if she can't make biscuits, just say she can't make, I mean, just for the life of her, she can't make a good biscuit. But she makes biscuits and gravy. And you eat it. It doesn't taste very good, but, but you eat it. And she asks you, do you want another one? You say, yeah, I sure do, honey. Pass that gravy. Give me that. I want another one. Cover it up. If she's got a fault, she's got a weakness, you cover it up. Don't joke about it. It's not funny. Now again, in keeping with the picture, isn't that what our Savior does for us? He's covered our sin in His blood. I mean, He shed, He went so far to cover our sin and our shame, He shed His blood to do it. He died to do it. Now just try to live up to that example of love. Huh? You know, there's an old Jewish tradition that if after a woman was married, she was found to have past sexual affairs or something, you know, before she was married, she was considered to be blemished. That's what they called her, blemished. And the marriage would be annulled. Well, now, how did our bridegroom find us? Huh? He found us ruined by the fall. He found us covered by wounds and bruises and putrefying sores from head to toe. He found us having lived a life of willful sin against him. Now we've been espoused to him by the Father. Here's how he found us in our sin. What did he do? Huh? He didn't cast us away, did he? He didn't call off the marriage. He loved us anyway. He loved us anyway. And he came and gave himself for us and washed us in his blood and made us spotless and holy. No more. You can't be called blemished anymore. Christ died for you. You're holy and without spot in in God's sight. Now, husbands, I know, and I've heard this excuse. Well, you know, it's impossible for a man, a human being, to love his wife as Christ loved the church. Absolutely true. Absolutely true. But I'll tell you what. Let's try our best to love our wives this way and cover her faults and present her in the best possible light. 99.99% of the time, she'll find it easy to be in submission to you. If you just try your best. Just do your best. I just bet you you'll have a happy marriage if you do. Just bet you. All right, number three. How did Christ love the church? As his own body. His own flesh. Verse 28. So ought men to love their wives as their own bodies. He that loveth his wife loveth himself. For no man ever yet hated his own flesh, but nourisheth it and cherisheth it, even as the Lord the church. For we are members of his body, of his flesh, and of his bones. Now husbands are to love our wives as much as we love ourselves. (laughs) 
Look back at Genesis chapter 2. This is the way it has been from the very beginning, from the very first marriage. The husbands are to love their wives as their own selves because they are. They are one flesh. This is the very first marriage. This is the way it was. Genesis chapter 2 verse 23. And Adam said, this is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She should be called woman because she was taken out of man. Therefore shall a man leave his father and his mother and shall cleave unto his wife and they shall be one flesh. Now, husbands are to love our wives as our own flesh because she is. We're one flesh. Well, how much do I love myself? <laughs> Let me count the ways. I mean, I love myself with all I've got. Don't you? Well, we ought to love our wives with all we got too then. I love myself so much. I find it real easy to forgive myself no matter what I've done wrong. I find it real easy to forgive myself. Then I ought to find it that easy to forgive my wife. I love myself. It's real easy for me to get for myself the best I can find. Well, I ought to love her the same way. My wife, give her the best that she can have. I mean, this I know I've got imperfections, but I still don't have any problem loving myself real well. Well, regardless of your wife's imperfections, love her fervently. Love her fervently. I love myself so much, I like to have honor for myself. I like that. Then I ought to find a way to seek her honor too, if I love her. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3. Peter teaches us the very same thing here. 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 7. Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, that your prayers be not hindered. Give her honor. That's what scripture says. Honor her. Oh, you think how Christ has honored his church. Honored her to be one flesh with him. Honored her to be joint heirs with him. Oh. Love her. Love your wife as your own flesh. I'm telling you, a man who hates his helpmeet is a man who's insane. He's insane because he's hating his own flesh. And if we husbands will consider everything we do as, as husbands is a picture of Christ in the home, is a picture of Christ in this, in this union, this marriage union, and we do our best to imitate him, just do your best, we'll have happier marriages. Paul says, nourish your wife. As Christ nourishes the church. Nourish her physically. Nourish her emotionally. And especially husbands. Nourish her spiritually. Now the husband. Is the priest in the home. I mean this is the responsibility. Of the husband in the home. Be the priest in the home. Now men. Take that job seriously. Take it seriously. It's your job. To ensure your wife is nourished. Spiritually. It's your responsibility. It's your job to be sure she's fed the word. You make sure she's in a place where she can hear the gospel. 
where you can worship together. You set the tone of worship. You set the tone in the home. You spend your week. Not, this is not just a Sunday and a Wednesday thing now. Seven days a week. You set the tone looking to Christ in all things. And then do it on Sunday and Wednesday in public too. Do it at home in private and do it in public too when the time, when the time comes. Cherish your wife, Paul said. Cherish her as Christ cherishes the church. Hold her with affection and care. Make sure she's confident in your love for her. You who believe, are you confident in the Savior's love for you? You are, aren't you? Well, do the same for your wife. Protect her. Eve was taken from Adam's side. Not his head so she'd be over him. And not his, her, his feet so that she'd be under him, under his heel. But from his side. To be sheltered and protected. God's people are taken from the side of Christ. When that Roman soldier pierced his side, what came out? Blood and water. Blood to justify. Water to sanctify. To make her perfect from his side. How our Savior cherishes and protects His people so they can never fall. Now, husbands, let's do that for our wives. And then here's the last thing. How did Christ love the church? He put her first. Verse 31, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother and shall be joined unto his wife, and they too shall be one flesh. Now, our duties as sons don't quit when we're married. We're still to love our parents and show them respect and care for them as they age. But when we're married, our first responsibility is now to our wives. First responsibility. Now, husbands, I know that, boy, all the stories you can tell about in-laws. I mean, this is a thing because it's human nature, in-laws. Don't you ever let your wife suffer at the hands of your parents or your family. Don't ever let her do it. Don't let them treat her bad. And don't let your parents come between you and her. No, you're one flesh. And this is just Frank's advice to you. Don't be a mama's boy. One of the fastest ways to lose the respect of your wife and ruin your marriage is to be a mama's boy. Like I said earlier, you be a man. You be a man that stands on your own two feet. And you be her husband. First in all things, you be her husband. Didn't our Lord... Set the example of that. He left his father's house. He left his father's side in order to come where his bride is and to redeem her, take her to himself, and make her his. Now last week, spoke to wives. This week, to husbands. Not only bring it together, husbands and wives together. Let's look at this. This is the key to a happy marriage. Verse 32. This is a great mystery. But I speak concerning Christ and the church. Nevertheless, let every one of you in particular so love his wife, even as himself, and the wife see that she reverence her husband. See, this is all of this is a picture of the gospel. And the only way we'll really strive to be the best husband and best wife that we can be is seeing this picture of the gospel. I love how when our Lord, when, when during his earthly ministry and the parables and things that he talked about, he always talked in common, ordinary things that everybody understands. He talked about farming and, and 
plants growing and, and reaping. He, talk, he just talked about common everyday things. Everybody understands. That's marriage. Everybody understands marriage. There so many, Almost all of us are, are going to be married at some point. The only way we can really understand how to operate in that marriage is by understanding it's a picture of the gospel. And understanding our marriages are pictures of the gospel. The picture of Christ and his bride. That doesn't make it a grievous duty, does it? It doesn't make it a grievous duty at all. What a blessing to have the opportunity to have our marriages and our homes show a picture of the union between Christ and his bride. Now that's a blessing that God has given to us. And I hope by God's grace that he'll enable us to see the gospel. That he'll enable us to see more of the the glory and person of our Savior. If he does, we're going to be better all the way around, aren't we? All the way around. All right. I hope the Lord bless that to you.